Welcome to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily Pulse. Last week, United Healthcare became the second health insurer to jump into the home care sector when it announced the purchase of LHC Group for $5.4 billion. It follows Humana's purchase last year of Kindred at Home. I sat down earlier this week with Ash Shihada, KPMG's national sector leader of healthcare and life sciences, and I asked him what these acquisitions portend for the home care industry and healthcare overall. Well, you know, it's an interesting, uh, you know, certainly interesting news and exciting news, I think, for the industry overall. But I think this has been building, you know, for several years. You can see that, you know, obviously healthcare has been focusing on continuity of care for, for a long time. And you've seen payers actually acquire pharmacy benefit managers. You've seen payers acquire provider practices. So I think, you know, now that we've seen kind of the focus really on home health, you've seen now the payers say, you know what? I think that is time to, to bring that into the portfolio and really truly build that continuum of care all the way to the home. And, you know, what's interesting about, you know, care to the home, you know, we've, for many, many years, we've been talking about care in the retail setting. And I think this is actually an opportunity to say, you know what, let's, let's go one better. Let's actually offer care to the home as well. So I think it's been building. I think it's been, you know, an opportunity, I think, that's been on the horizon. Obviously, the, the global pandemic has has demonstrated to us that we could do a lot in the home right now. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's going to be, I think, a really bright future for home care overall. And obviously, home care is a very fragmented market. You know, you've got a lot of small and mid-tier players. So if I'm a mid-tier home care company, how do I compete against these large payers like the Humanas and whatnot that are directing their clients, their Medicare Advantage members, into their in-house brands? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I think clearly, you know, there's opportunities for scale and size, and I think the competition is going to be uh, uh, definitely something to contend with. But I think overall, the industry is still very much suited towards service. And at the end of the day, it's servicing the families, the communities, and of course, the, the members and the patients. So I think what's probably most important and probably even more paramount now, and from all of our personal experiences, you know, think about even uh, the, our dining options today. Uh, you know, that we can certainly see all kinds of scale and capabilities with national dining establishments. But if they don't have the service, the response time, the quality of care, the essentials for a home care successful visit, if those things aren't done well and consistently, uh, it won't matter how large they are. I I think there's going to be ample opportunity. So I would say that would be my priority number one, is really focus on the service element and the relationships. I think the second one is, you know, what I call take this as an opportunity to modernize. Because I think over time, what you're going to see this consolidation will bring the rise of modernization. And what I mean by that is, you know, beginning to move towards more technical capabilities, electronic health records, online services, scheduling, uh, being able to create, you know, more visibility around, you know, care pathways and care plans for family members and community. So to me, I think it's about building that kind of that roadmap towards modernization. And I do think the third opportunity is also to build scale within your markets and regions. Uh, You know, I think to your point, not everything has to go from very, very large national. There are opportunities to build scale and capabilities within markets and regions. And I think you're going to see much more opportunities for partnerships and alliances at the local level. 
Good question. You talked about partnerships and alliances, and I wanted to ask you about that. If I'm a home care operator or a home health operator, what kind of alliances should I be looking for? Well, I think the first one is obviously to build the alliances with the local provider organizations, because at the end of the day, even though, you know, from a perspective, the benefit structures and, and, and the coordination of benefits can certainly drive volumes. At the end of the day, we all know that healthcare is still very personal and very local. So I think take that opportunity to build those stronger relationships with existing clients. I think the second thing around alliances is also look potentially for other technology partners. You know, it's an interesting time right now, and there's a lot of interest in the technology space to enter into very, very interesting relationships uh, with care and actually care at the home. So I think that would be my other one is, you know, look for technology partners. Could be at the local level, could be interesting enough, could be telecom providers, you know, that are really starting to kind of build services to the home. It could be, uh, you know, a local re retail establishments that also want to build extensive services to the home. So there's a lot of ways to think about this, and, and partnerships are a great way to expand your footprint. And I think the third area that's really, really ripe for partnership is really looking at, uh, you know, kind of your, your ecosystem in a different way. Uh, are there other service providers like delivery services and other capabilities, maybe transportation services, other, you know, delivery partners that you can, you know, bring into your system and ecosystem? And again, they can be local and regional. They don't always have to be national. Absolutely, because we've been hearing a lot about um, the whole idea of the social determinants of health. So nutrition, transportation, even trying to mitigate social isolation and loneliness. How do you, if you're a home care company and you partner with these different other different services, how do you offer that up to your clients? Is this an a la carte kind of thing? Do you bundle these services? How is this done? Yeah, I think, I, you know, usually I start initially with this, start with some good a la carte services that you can help each other out with. Because I think at the end of the day, these relationships have to be built on trust. And it doesn't have to be a whole big menu of services. And then once that trust relationship, because remember my, the first point I made about quality, the relationships also have to mirror the quality that you expect. So if you have a high quality expectation and your partners have to also demonstrate that same level of quality. So that's the risk and opportunity with partnerships. So I think start small and build those alliances and relationships at a very fundamental level that you can measure and evaluate each other, you know, in this, in this kind of trial period. Then I think when you're a little more comfortable with that, and maybe you have an ecosystem of partners, it can be plural, then you can start to create that bundling of services. And then when you bundle those services, then you can go to the local health systems because the health systems are also very meaningful right now. And they're great aggregators of services, by the way. And a lot of times they aggregate services on behalf of the payers. So it's actually a nice kind of way to kind of step into this aggregation world a little bit. But you've got to go with more than kind of a, a single service. You've got to go with a community or a batch of services that really help you around building that continuity of care model. Gotcha. And in kind of in the um, in the pecking order, where would you start? Like, what would be the kind of service that might be have broader appeal? Would it be meal services? Would it be transportation? What is likely to rise to the top from the consumer perspective? You know, it's, it's a great question because I, I think, you know, maybe the best way to answer it is start with a consumer in mind. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, when you start to ask the consumer specifically how better they can service, uh, you know, you're going to come up with those those examples. Uh, but clearly, you mentioned two of them, you know, meal and transportation services. And, you know, it's interesting to me that you, you mentioned two services 
that we also use in our what are called non-healthcare world, right? Because if you think about it, you know, throughout the pandemic, people have been ordering meals, leveraging transportation services. We do them for every other aspect of our, our community and our, our world. But I definitely think that could be an area that you really want to kind of elevate and, and bring to your, your market capabilities. Um, I do think the other one would be, you know, bring some of the services together from your community providers. Now, there's a lot of community providers that are not-for-profit systems that are, you know, part of, of a variety of funding mechanisms. Maybe they, they receive, you know, state and local grants and others. So I think that would be the other one is really, you know, go after some of those community services organizations and give them a channel uh, to, to work with you and collaborate with you and to have access to your, you know, your patients and, and your families. So to me, I think that's another one. And I think the other one is probably really, really important, uh, you know, to figure out kind of where to go next is, you know, maybe think about building kind of like a consumer council. These are the people that help you really drive. Uh, you know, the other day I was at a, uh, a very innovative community in Orlando. Uh, we have a, a big training facility here in Orlando, so we get to know some of the community members. And, you know, they built a very, very strong, uh, you know, long-term care assisted living facility with extensions to the home. And all of the services that they developed were basically built by a community that was governed by the citizens and the members of that community. So I think to your point, probably good not to guess, but maybe to ask and then use that as a way to kind of guide your way forward. We've talked a lot about non-medical services. Let's pivot a little bit to medical services. And we are hearing an awful lot of healthcare moving into the home, in-home primary care, acute care, dialysis. In fact, I've even heard today that there is a company, um, a, to, a partnership that's going to be offering care to bone marrow transplant recipients once they get home. What other opportunities or what kind of opportunities are out there potentially, A, for home care and B, home health care with some of this healthcare moving into the home? Yeah. So before we kind of pick the, the topics, I, I would say there's kind of the trifecta of, of home care, right? One is obviously clinical services to the home. That's, you know, kind of, you know, front and center. But the second one is pharmacy services to the home. And then the third one is DME. Mm -hmm. And if, if you can kind of build those three, you know, essentially, and we can kind of tier them because there's a lot of ways to look at that. But Clearly, when you look at oncology services, for example, they, they rise to where can you get all three of those? You know, high need of clinical services, high need of pharmacy services, and potentially high need of DME. All of those actually rise to, you know, so I think bringing more and more oncology services to the home is, I think, a, a critical area. And I, and I like oncology for a variety of reasons. It's obviously, uh, you know, becoming a bigger and bigger uh, share of, of spending, you know, from, from Medicare recipients. We're seeing a lot more programs around value-based care. So there's a very strong incentive for some of the health systems to really focus on, on um, you know, the, the ability to move to post-acute care settings quickly. Uh, so I think that's the second one. And I think the third one is, you know, there's a lot of uh, service providers that are very specialized around some of those, those programs. Uh, but there are also some very subspecialty programs like wound care, for example, so I think there's a lot of areas, but I would, I would start with, you know, the ones that A, have good reimbursement and B, that have that trifecta of, of med, um, you know, device and clinical services. And I think thirdly, and probably more importantly, those that have kind of a, a, a driver behind them in the community and likely your, your inpatient, you know, bed days, um, that will be the driver and people moving towards more post-acute and by the way, the post-acute drivers, there's two of them driving health systems. One is value-based reimbursement, which some would say maybe is 
is interesting, but not as highly leveraged as it could be. So I think there's still more room to go there. But the other one right now is just occupancy. I mean, if you think about it, the most effective hospitals, take out, taking outside value-based reimbursement, are the ones that are able to maximize the efficiency and the throughput of the patients on the inpatient bed days. So there's actually a way to build a very strong value proposition for your inpatient providers. Because, you know, when you're starting to see health systems now rebound, remember all of these cases that we've been waiting to kind of come back are starting to flow back into the system now. And when you start to see systems with 75, 80, 95% occupancy, that is the time to have a very compelling, you know, home care proposition around specialty services. And you, you mentioned reimbursement. So we're assuming, maybe you shouldn't assume, that Medicare and Medicaid, depending on which side you're on, would see these additional services as being valuable, as being able to prevent people from going back into the hospital. Yeah, that's the hope. But I think the arbiter of that is going to be the health systems mm-hmm. or the providers that have to take some element of risk. And you mentioned the payers in the early part of our discussion, also the payers. So I think back to your point about evaluating the efficacy of the home services that we're providing, it really needs to be done in conjunction with the care providers, the care delivery network, mostly the, the provider network, and also the payers. But I think and that's, it needs to be done in a very tactful. And the more you can focus on those clinical therapeutic areas, and by the way, I wouldn't focus on all of them, right? Because you might want to say, I'm going to focus on just certain programs around, you know, dialysis is good. We always talk about dialysis all the time, but the, the difficulty with dialysis, the reimbursement models are still pretty low, right? So it, it has a, a broad range capability, but the unit reimbursement is relatively low. So if you can kind of find a way to kind of move up the scale and maybe move more towards oncology services, or, or maybe even, you know, the other area we're starting to see more and more reimbursement, even though it's a little bit smaller, is like behavioral health. So there could be areas there as well that we're going to see kind of new areas of of opportunity and reimbursement. Ash, one of the things that we hear over and over again from people in the industry, and you've probably heard it yourself, is this whole issue with the staffing challenge and the caregiver shortage. How are some of your clients dealing with that? What recommendations are you providing to your clients to deal with that crisis? Yeah. Well, so I think, you know, taking a, an old play out of our playbook uh, in from, you know, our career back in the early 90s, you know, we used to do a lot of, uh, you know, patient-focused care was the word we used. And the whole focus of patient-focused care was to have everybody work at the height of their licensure. So when you think about it that way, it's still a very good rule of thumb to use when you're trying to re- change your workforce, you know, dimensions. And the idea is that if everybody's working to the height of their licensure, then you're going to have a much more efficient, a more happier, a better workforce. So I think that's the first step is kind of go back to that guiding principle. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, that we've had to kind of work outside of the range of, of what people are doing just to be able to get by and be able to continue to operate and serve our clients. I think what we need to go back to now is what's, what is the work model going forward? And I do think the work model is also very interesting. It's going to be hybrid. You're going to have some opportunities to leverage resources for people who don't need to travel. And then you've got to ask yourself, for those who do need to travel, to actually go into the home or go to the care setting, uh, what is the licensure required? What is the skill set required? And they can they be anchored with the use of third-party devices to connect to those professionals to actually be more uh, you know, effective? So I think that's going to be the second one, because I think we might be 
kind of overworking our resources, trying to do too many things in a very limited time. Then I think the third piece of the, so the first one is what we call kind of workforce shaping using an old principle. The second one is leveraging kind of the on-site and off-site. And the third one is using technology more effectively. And I think there've been a lot of great examples on home care. Uh, you know, Europe, for example, I'm part of our global team, been there, been there for many years, has been doing some amazing experiments in, in aging, you know, aging well uh, programs. And I think when you look at the way they've used technology, uh, there might be some really great areas because instead of saying, I'm going to focus all my money on, you know, an electronic health record, maybe you want to focus it on, you know, building a scheduling system, a, a resourcing system, uh, a capability to, to access, uh, you know, people in a just-in-time fashion uh, who are available. I mean, think about all the resource pooling we're doing right now outside of healthcare. If we could do the same kind of thing for, for our industry here, it could be amazing. And just quickly, when we have a couple more minutes left, um, I have to ask you, from a policy perspective, do you see Washington embracing care moving into the home? There's legislation out there to promote that. Are they heading in the right direction? Are they up to speed on all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants to. And, I'll, you know, I'll give you a good kind of assessment of that. You know, we talked about, for example, telehealth for many, many years. Telehealth is not a new idea. It's been around for 30 years, right? And it, it, it took kind of the efforts of the pandemic to, to allow us to kind of make it happen faster uh, rather than studying it. But the, the biggest fear is obviously quality and outcomes. And I think you're going to see still a measured response with home care. So it's going to be, you know, let's get supportive of it. Let's look for those pilots. Let's, but I do think you're going to find ultimately the arbiter of whether Washington braces or not is if the providers and the payers demonstrate value. So I think it's about building a successful ecosystem to be able to continue to demonstrate value. And I think right now we're on the precipice of this. So I would keep going, but it has to be a value-based, you know, arrangement, one that is meaningful for, for all parties. But I, I, I definitely think the right intent is there, but we have to continue to move forward as we have a, a moment in time right now. The other dimension is you're seeing so much movement in home care uh, with private investors, private equity, mm-hmm. large corporates, so the what I call the, the wave forward is happening. Uh, and, and a lot of times when, you know, when investor money rushes towards these these opportunities, you know, there's probably a good indication that that, uh, you know, there'll be a regulatory environment that will be supportive of it as well. It just may not come overnight. Great points. Ash Shihada, KPMG's national sector leader of healthcare and life sciences. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Diane. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast. For the latest in long-term care, senior living, and home care news, visit mcknights.com.